Welcome to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. This is episode number 84 in the Condo Vulture Podcast series. It's also our real estate players profile. It is a one-on-one conversation that we publish every Friday where I have a conversation with someone in the South Florida marketplace who offers some interesting insight uh, for you, the listener. Who's that listener? Um, what are they comprised of? Effectively, people who are interested in South Florida real estate. You could be a real estate professional, like a lender. You could be a title person, uh, somebody involved with you know closing deals with title. You could be a developer. You could be a realtor. You could be an investor. It could be somebody who's considering investing. That's basically who we're talking to, and we're trying to bring straight talk. We're trying to cut through all the overhype that exists in the market, the hyperbole, and try to give you a straight up uh, perspective as to sort of what's really going on. So, who do I have this particular week for this real estate players profile? Because it's Friday is a gentleman called John Groose. He has a company called Groose Communications. You might recognize the name. He's one of our regular contributors on our Reporters Roundtable or Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable, where we, uh, once a week, four current or former journalists get together, talk about some of the biggest headlines that have occurred, and sort of cut through what the, what do they mean, what's the context of them, and make some predictions. This is a fantastic um, uh, a program that we do every Wednesday. If you if you haven't yet listened to it, I'd encourage you to go ahead and do so. So Sean is one of those uh, contributors. He's one of the uh, the people who's constantly on, but he also has his public relations firm, and that public relations firm basically is a result of him being a journalist for 25 years. He left the industry, and now he is writing. He's writing for entrepreneurs. He's writing for companies that basically uh, are looking for to get their message out, but to get it out in such a way where uh, there's a lot of um, let's say depth to it. It's not the typical you know. Uh, type it up type of situation, but more so where there's a theme and there's a strategy and there's all that type of stuff. So what am I going to talk about with Jean, who was a former journalist and now in the public relations game? We're going to talk about all the fake news. We're going to talk about the repercussions. What are the repercussions if somebody puts up bad information? Uh, are the repercussions immediate? Are they long-term? Are they, uh, they going to have any bearing whatsoever? Does anybody even care? We're also going to talk about public relations firm. If you have a company, you have your own business, do you actually need to uh, do PR? Do you need to hire a firm? Do you need to pay them? Can you do it yourself? Do you need a website? Do you need social media? We're going to talk about any and all of the above. Jean is a hybrid. Again, he was a journalist. Now he does public relations. He's going to be able to cut through some of it. He'll also tell us about uh, what should you look for when, if you do find a PR firm and you're looking to negotiate, um, you know, what kind of pricing, uh, any and all of that stuff. So fascinating, uh, interesting conversation that I'm going to have with John. Uh, but before we get started, I want to tell you, if you're not a subscriber to the Condo Vultures podcast, please go ahead and do so wherever you listen to your podcast. If you like what we're doing, leave us a rating there, as well as a comment. Uh, the more ratings we get and the more comments we get, what that does is it helps to promote our podcast and ultimately help us to accomplish our mission, which is to bring straight talk to the overhyped South Florida real estate market. And then finally, if you have a comment for us, go ahead, send us an email to inquiryconvultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Every Wednesday during our reporter's roundtable where Jean appears or uh, participates, we go ahead and we read those comments. So, all that being said, go ahead and fasten that seatbelt, lean back, and get ready to learn and laugh about the public relations game in South Florida, influencers, real estate, fake news, and what does it all mean? Are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo? Are you searching in the markets of greater downtown Miami, Miami Beach north to Sunny Isles Beach, Hollywood north to Fort Lauderdale, or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condo Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condo Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. 
To speak with a buyer broker at Condo Vultures Realty, please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. I'm having a, my real estate players profile discussion this week with no one else but John Bruce. Who's John and why do you recognize that name? Well, he's one of our regular contributors on the Reporters Roundtable, which is also officially known as the Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable. It's a weekly uh, podcast that we do where we kick around six big headlines that have occurred within the last week, talk about how it, in, it could potentially impact South Florida, both economically as well as real estate side. Uh, there's also a segment where we ask uh, people to go ahead and make predictions, and John always seems to be correct. And then uh, finally, there, there, there's a comment section. So um, what I want to talk to John about uh, right now is there's a bunch of uncertainty going on in terms of what's the economy like. Uh, is this a good time when maybe you as a uh, business owner, you need to be marketing your company? Is this the right time to spend the cash, or should you maybe be conserving the cash? I also want to talk to John about all of the news that's out there. What's real? What's fake? How do you differentiate what exists, what doesn't exist? And then uh, finally, I want to um, get some insight into Jean. It's a, how does the PR industry actually work? And um, the reason that Jean's a go-to guy is that he was a journalist for uh, north of 25 years. Um, and now he's sort of transitioned over to the other side, uh, as they call it in the uh, editorial business. So now he's working, uh, you know, for the enemy, the, uh, <laughs> if you will. So, so Jean's the perfect guy to sort of help us understand what is PR do you need it and should you be doing it right now? So, all that being said, let me introduce John. What's going on, John? Sorry about that long introduction. No, thanks, Peter. It's great to be on. So um, we, 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 you and I first met, um, I don't know, probably about, what, four or five years ago, three years, somewhere in there, and, and everything is sort of getting confused because of the pandemic. We, we met when you reached out and you went on one of my walking tours, which um, hopefully I'll be able to bring back once everybody's vaccinated. So, you know, uh, ideally May, June, uh, July, although it might be a little bit hot. Is, is that when we met or, or I, do, do I have that right? Actually, Peter, you may not remember this, but I actually interviewed you uh, probably about 10 years ago. Uh, when I was the editor of a publication called The Business Observer in Southwest Florida, and we had oh, a huge develop a, a huge developer called WCI Communities that was yes. building more condos than anybody. <laughs> yes. And, uh, yes. And, uh, yes. And, and they were and they got in big trouble. Uh, Carl Icahn tried to take them out, and yep. they got in big trouble, of course, with the whole with the whole downturn, and actually uh, filed for bankruptcy. So yeah. <laughs> oh my God! You know now that you mentioned it, correct? I never had to uh, a face to the name, as they say. I remember that conversation way back when. And anybody who says, oh, you know, I know the WCI name, but what did they build? What did they build in South Florida? Well, I will point you to Bell Harbor. They put up the uh, One Bell Harbor, which is a condo tower on the east side, um, and and a condo hotel on the west side, which is now flagged by a Ritz Carlton. It's right on the southern edge of the Hallover Inlet. As you go from Bell Harbor um, north on the Barrier Island in the Hallover Beach and then ultimately Sunny House. So, wow, long time ago, Jean. And I, I knew it was familiar, but I didn't know why. Now I do. So thanks for cracking the code for me. <laughs> well, you know, when I came to Miami, I looked. you were one of the first people I looked up because, um, you know, you know what's going on. And, um, and uh, I, you know, you're, you're kind of one of those go-to guys that um, if you want to know what's really going on in Miami, you talk to Peter. <laughs> well, in terms of real estate, probably only, uh, and, and definitely condos, definitely condos. So that's a great compliment. I appreciate that, John. Um, John, um, uh, just so the audience knows, and you already know sort of the format of how I do these podcasts, is A, 
We look for straight talk, so salty language is permissible. So if you curse or anything like that, no problem. Chances are you won't, but I probably will. And then the other thing is for this uh, podcast, what I want to do is I want to break it out into three segments. First segment, I want to talk about you. I want to talk about your uh, background in um, uh, how long you've been in Florida, how you got here, uh, some of your journalism gigs. Uh, as reporter, editor, all that stuff. And then I also want to talk about your transition over into public relations and what your firm is doing today. Then I want to take a commercial break, and I want to get into kind of what's what, what's going on right now. What is a PR firm, public relations firm, marketing firm? What do they sort of do? What role do they have? Uh, uh, how does somebody who maybe isn't aware with it, how do they understand? And also, too, uh, what about all this fake news, this news that's out there? Is it real? Is it not real? Social media? So I want to ask you about all that. And then this last segment, because uh, I tend to be winded, as everybody can tell, I want to talk about the uh, the future, what you sort of see coming down the pipe, because you're one of these guys who really seems to be macro-oriented, and you can see stuff and anticipate stuff. It seems to be uh, more so than, uh, you know, your typical um, person on a podcast, maybe like John Fackler. <laughs> <laughs> My predictions only come true on your show, man, not in real life. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice. So, so Jean, uh, the first question I always ask everybody is, um, where are you from and how the hell did you get here? And I know we discussed it on the previous podcast during the roundtable, but just so the audience, the listener, uh, can, can be re- reminded if they didn't listen to that particular podcast. Yeah, um, so I, I was born and raised in France, came to the U.S. Uh, when I was uh, 15, uh, went to high school in uh, Washington, D.C., and college in upstate New York. Um, I, um, I, uh, did a quick stint, uh, for a year in a journalism program postgraduate in South Africa and, um, came back to the U S and it was during the first Gulf war. Um, it was early 1991 and, uh, there were no jobs in newspapers, which is what I really wanted to do. Uh, but someone suggested that I should look in places where population was still growing. And at the time, um, Texas and Florida were the only two states with uh, population growth. And um, I didn't want to go to Texas, but Florida sure sounded good. So um, I sent my resume down to a bunch of Florida newspapers and drove around the state and uh, sort of visited, popped into all these different newsrooms. And I was eventually hired as a police and cops reporter at the Panama City News Herald, in the panhandle. Perfect, perfect. Now, 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 now yeah. I want to stop you there. I want to stop you there because yeah. there's a lot of stuff I want to get into before we get that. But you set the scene. Your first gig was up in Panama City, and you're writing about cops and crime and all that stuff. So, um, right. France, what, what, what part of France uh, did you grow up in, and uh, uh, how do I figure out what cheap, uh, which French wine is actually good and cheap? <laughs> uh, can, can, can you share any? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I grew up in Paris. Um, and, uh, you know, there's plenty of good French wine. Uh, so, but you know what? Yeah, but what? cheap, uh, but cheap. <laughs> cheap, cheap. <laughs> well, it, unfortunately, uh, you know, the good stuff's not cheap, whether you're buying American <laughs> or, or, or French. So, but, yeah, okay. you know. <laughs> and um, uh, moved to the U.S. Uh, when I was 15 and, and finished school here in the U.S. So. Okay, um, okay. Now. Yeah, yeah. Now, now I want to ask you. Um, uh, you, you obviously have the, you know, the background in France. Uh, you, you speak French. I do speak French. Yep. Okay. And have you traveled around the Americas uh, to any countries that are French-speaking? Could be potentially in the Caribbean, or maybe up in Quebec, Canada, or or maybe even parts of northern uh, South America. Any 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 kind of stories you can share about uh, visiting French-speaking countries? Could be Haiti. Could be you know anything like that. French Guyana. 
Uh, actually, I've been to Martinique. Um, Martinique, and nice. that is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful island. Yes, in the Caribbean, French speaking, um, wonderful place. And um, but uh, and I always enjoy uh, speaking with um, my uh, French Canadian friends and my Haitian friends here in Miami. There's lots of them. And actually, believe it or not, there are a ton of French people here in Miami. Um, you know, they love the weather. They love living here. And um, they're all over the place. Ah, okay. All right. Uh, interesting. Now, um, uh, you know, I always like to talk about food. I always like to talk about food. Any any restaurants that sort of meet your uh, standard uh, as it pertains to maybe, let, let, let's say, French or French-speaking cuisine? Well, there's there is a nice uh, little French restaurant in Brickell called La Petite Maison, uh, and that is a you know a high end French restaurant, very nice. Uh, their service is excellent, and um, uh, but I'm you know I I'm really excited by the the fusion of food here, uh, particularly um, Latin American food when it when it comes here and the fusion with other cultures, and yeah. um, there there's some nice restaurants that uh, sort of are very experimental here. Um, yeah. You know, in Brickell and Wynwood, I mean, I, it's really pretty creative. I must say, the the food scene here is pretty creative. Um, yep. Yep. And yep. Uh, and and, I'm, and honestly, I'm kind of bored by French and Italian restaurants, but but the yep. the really exciting stuff is being done, you know, by Latin American chefs right now. I think. You know, when it, when I first got to Miami, and I'm and obviously I'm dating myself. I got here in '93. When I got here to Miami, um, and I, I'm probably going to butcher it, uh, the pronunciation, but the crepe. Uh, is that, am I saying it correctly, or am I totally butchering? Uh, you're cl- it? close. You're close. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there, there was a guy. He would dress up effectively in a French chef's outfit, hat and all. You know, a big puffy hat at the top. <laughs> and he yeah. he had a he he had a push cart. Think of like a hot dog stand up in New York City, you know, like with the um, with the umbrella. So, yeah. so so this guy was dressed like a French chef. He would have a push cart, and he would set up shop. This is before food trucks. That's back in the day when uh, the only food truck was what we would call a roach coach. Those are those silver things that would roll up on construction sites, and all the construction roll, uh, workers roll up, and then they open up the sides of the doors, and all the roaches go running. Yeah, so that that was the only thing. So this particular guy, this this um, this chef, if you will, the French chef, he had a crepe um, uh, making a, a food stand or push cart, and he would make crepes, and people would queue at Brickell and Eighth Street, the northeast corner where there's uh, there's a SunTrust building. They all would be queued up because there was no restaurants to go to on Brickell Avenue because virtually nothing was there. There was a bagel joint. Uh, a couple of restaurants, but nothing was going on on Brickell. It was office towers, maybe a subway, and then at night, everybody would disappear. I mean, you had Tobacco Road, but you could only boo so much during the afternoon. So so this crepe guy was the go-to guy. So do you, do you have any favorite crepe places, or have you found any, or do you even like crepes in South Florida? Well, I do. I do. <laughs> well, I do, but, you know, it's funny you say that because those crepe guys are in Paris. Yeah. I mean, you can, you know, they, they make crepes ah. in the streets, and it's, it's kind of a street food, you know. You can uh, yep. pick one up on your way f- home from work, you know, and they'll they'll put it in a little, um, you know, paper sack, and you can munch on it on your way home. So, you know, those guys, nice. those guys are, yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of a tradition there, too. Okay. Now, now tell me, uh, South Africa. What did you do in South Africa? Yeah. Where, where were you? Where, uh, where were you? And how safe did you feel? Uh, well, you know, it was one of those things. You know, when you're young and irresponsible, you, um, <laughs> you have these hair, hair-brained ideas. And I was like, 
huh, I'll go, I'll go do a journalism program in South Africa. What the hell? And, and yeah. I found a program uh, down there at a university down there. And I, I got lucky because in 1990, um, early 1990, Mandela was released. Wow. And, um, so I was, you were so there? I was, I was there that whole year, whole, all the transition. You know, I got there two weeks later, Mandela was released. And it was, it was just, you know, this whole era of transformation. And, um, yeah, it felt perfectly safe. It's a great country. I still feel safe. Um Went back a couple of years ago, and um, you know, you, you read a lot about crime and, and those kinds of things. Yeah. But you know, generally, if you if you're you know, <laughs> if you have common sense and you're careful, you know, nothing bad's going to happen to you. And South Africans are very warm and 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 friendly and welcoming, and um, you know, it's a, it's just a great place. Um, so wow, I was there wow, for a wow. year. Uh, you know, it was a harebrained idea, um, and uh, you know, it's one of those one of those things. You know, when you're you when you're young, you you just you want to take off and get away. <laughs> nice, nice. As far nice. from your no, no. from your parents as you can, you know. So, oh yeah, and it was a great experience. Run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now, so. now, you were you were in Johannesburg, Joburg, or you were in Cape Town, Pretoria. You were out on the uh, on the East Coast, on the Atlantic Ocean. Where where, where exactly um, where, where where are you based? Excuse me. Yeah, so I was uh, well base, base. I was based near a oh, Indian Ocean, Port Indian Ocean, Port, Port, yeah, yeah, Port Elizabeth. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It was, oh, it was okay. on the southeast uh, side of uh, South Africa. I went to a place called Rhodes University there. Um, but nice. really, I I did a, I did a ton of traveling. So I was all over the place. You know, uh, we were always on the road. I mean, the roads there are you know first world you know fine fine roads. You can get around. Yep. Um, yep. And really, it's um, it's a it's a great country. You can get around, no problem. Uh, Cape Town, Durban, Johannesburg, those are sort of the three main cities, but there's, there's tons of wildlife and, and, and there's lots of uh, beautiful places. And, you know, it's got, you know, South Africa has got its problems like, uh, like every country. Um, yep. Tremendous amount of pop, tremendous amount of poverty and um, big, big challenges with uh, problems like AIDS and things like that. But they have uh, a lot of natural resources and and a very industrious people. So a lot of entrepreneurs. I mean, I have to say, South Africans are entrepreneurs. That's for sure. You know, and to bring it bring it back to the restaurant scene, um, there there were or are two restaurants, and obviously we're in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, people are finally getting inoculated mm. here in Florida. So who knows who's going to survive and who's not going to survive. But there's two restaurants with South African roots down here in South Florida. One is in Miami called the Big Easy at Brickell City Center. You would think Big Easy, uh, many people in the United States think New Orleans, but it's actually South African fare. And then there was another right. one, and I can't remember the name, up in Fort Lauderdale. So Fort Lauderdale's got mm. quite a few South Africans um, uh, living up uh, uh, up that way. I, I don't know if you've yes, ever been when they visited either. Yep. Yes, it does. I've, I've met some South Africans here. Yes, I have. So Interesting. Yeah, and there was a time when South African Airlines uh, or Airways, whatever everyone was called, used to fly direct into Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale. So interesting. Yeah, interesting. in fact, in Miami too, they had a they had a flight, uh, Miami yep. to Cape Town. Yeah. Yep. 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 So um, uh, you get a job. You're in Panama City. Anybody that's Panama City. Panama City is. Yeah. Think think of the state of Florida this shape, and then right when you get back to the like the when you get off of the peninsula and you get up to the top where the most of the conventional uh, United States is. You hang a left, and you're on your way to Mississippi, Alabama, and New Orleans, and that's Panama City up that way. It's completely different uh, uh, from Miami, which is completely diverse in several different languages. Panama City is all the opposite. Am I right or am I wrong, John? 
You're absolutely right. It's the Redneck Riviera. <laughs> how did you? Uh, how did you like uh, working up there? And any any crazy crime you remember reporting from up that way? That maybe oh yeah, all kind of all kind of stuff, man. All kind of stuff. You know, I uh, you know you'll appreciate this as a real estate. I live two blocks off the beach, uh, in a two bedroom house that cost me two hundred and fifty dollars a month to rent. What and I could. Yes, and you know, uh, Panama City at that time was the spring break capital of the world, and That's I could right. step out my I could step out my door and hear the roar of the wet T-shirt contest going on across the street. Nice, 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 nice. <laughs> so that's how what, long did that's, you last? That's what Panama City was. Yeah, how long? How long did you last in Panama City, and then where was the where was the next um, uh, uh, stop on your on your journey? Well, I, uh, I worked in Panama City for three years, um, and uh, I got a big break in business writing because I wrote about a banker who was arrested for waving a gun in a bar. Nice. And um, the next day I went to the courthouse. If you know anything about the courthouse, you know, it's a place where all the gossip is exchanged. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the courthouse clerks are a wealth of information. So all you have to do is go to the courthouse, hang out with the clerks, and pretty soon you know what's really going on in town. And nice. um, the next day after the banker was arrested, I started chatting up the clerks at the courthouse. And I said, hey, how about that You know, banker who was arrested for waving his gun in the bar last night? And they're like, well, there's a lot more to that story. And uh, you might, you might want to dig a little deeper. And um, well, it turned out there were big problems with the bank. And the regulators were all in it, and um, eventually uh, the banker was arrested and charged with uh, essentially using the bank as his pig bank and went to prison. And wow. um, that was the that was the beginning of my business writing career. <laughs> yeah, so we did, we wrote a bunch of stories. Uh, we wrote, wrote a bunch of stories about about the bank, and and um, I got into business writing and. Then I got hired uh, by the Tampa Tribune uh, as a business writer, and based based sort of on that on that work. And um, I uh, covered commercial real estate and economic development for the Tampa Tribune for five years uh, in the nineties. Okay, no, no, so I want to stop you there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I want to stop you there. The only reason I want to stop you is I want to put into context the Tampa Tribune. So, so back in the day, um, you know, used to have morning newspapers, used to have afternoon newspapers. Then it progressed, and there was consolidation. But people still were right. picking up their newspapers, so it got consolidated. You'd have like one big newspaper per city, and then there's more consolidation. And lo and behold, you only had a few big time newspapers in the state of mm-hmm. Florida, and that was the Tampa Tribune, and that was the Miami Herald. Both of them won Pulitzer. Both of them were like heavyweights nationally, right. not just in Florida, but nationally. So working at the Herald or working at the Tampa Tribune was really yeah. like, I put, I guess, in sports uh, standards from a baseball perspective, which is my favorite sport, it's like making a major yeah. league. It, it, so the work at yeah, the Tampa yeah. Tribune is overwhelming uh, and it's serious street cred. Anybody in the, in the audience who maybe says, ah, newspaper, who, who gives a shit? Well, back in the day, it was, it was huge. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of the top 50 newspapers, half a million circulation. We had a 350-person newsroom. We had a business wow. news desk with with 20 people, you know, editors and reporters. I mean, and I, um, you know, I was lucky enough to come straight downtown. Generally, you uh, generally you work out in the bureaus and, and get promoted yep. that way. Um, I got lucky. I, I they moved me right downtown. I was pretty excited. 
and um, you know, it was a very exciting job. It covered commercial real estate, which at the time was it was an exciting time to be there because the, you know you may recall that at the, um, it was coming out of the um, days of the Resolution Trust Corporation yes. uh, that yes. had taken over yeah. all the pro, all the commercial real estate from the failed uh, savings and loans institutions, and um, you know they were they were selling them for pennies on the dollar. And um, it was the start. It, it sort of sowed the seeds for the recovery in commercial real estate in Tampa. In the early 90s, the, I mean, there we had a serious commercial real estate downturn in Florida. And I mean, I remember, you know, office buildings, empty office buildings, empty office parks. It was it was quite a bit of a disaster. Um, they had way overbuilt. Nobody ever thought the office buildings would ever get filled, but they did eventually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was there yeah, to write yeah. about it. I was there to write about it. Um, and economic development, of course, is tied into that uh, because they're yep. bringing jobs. And, and Tampa really, you know, went from a sleepy backwater. Um, well, it wasn't sleepy backwater, but it was a port city, a bit gritty, industrial. And yep. it really came into its own, a much more, um, you know, financial services oriented economy. And um, yep. they filled up all these office buildings with back office operations for, you know, uh, JP Morgan and Citigroup and all these big financial services firms started moving their operations to, to Tampa. So it was an exciting time wow. to be there. Tampa is really, uh, you know, going through a uh, renaissance and um, yeah, it was, it was good. It was a good time to be there. Newspapers were still, you know, the go-to uh, source of information. Um, yep. You know, we, we competed head on with the St. Pete times um, and we had epic battles, you know, uh, Yep. Try to outscoop outscoop each other. You know, I either had a great day when I scooped scooped them, or 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 I had a horrible day when they scooped me. And uh, <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, you know, when you have when you have a two newspaper town, um, you know, it's it's really uh, to your benefit because hell yeah, the, the qual quality and quantity of news, you know, is much better. And now, of course, that, that doesn't exist anymore. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know and, and and now it's social media and it's other things which I want to talk about in the in in, in the next segment. That so so you're providing great 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 context. Um, where, where did you go after the Tampa Tribune? Um, so then I I um, uh, went back to Washington D.C. for a quick stint. Uh, actually, quick stint five years with uh, Kiplinger's, <laughs> which is a pub, pub publisher of personal finance information. And um, that's right. I, uh, I ended up being the managing editor of uh, public one of their publications called The Retirement Report, which is helping people manage their finances in retirement. And um, you know, I got to Washington, lived lived there for five years, and then uh, decided that. You know, I miss Florida a lot. <laughs> right. I miss, right. I miss right. the weather, the people. I'd made some great friends and connections. So I came back down to Florida. Um, and at the time, um, the uh, there was a publication in Sarasota and Tampa uh, called the Gulf Coast Business Review. And they yeah. wanted to expand to the Fort Myers, Naples area because it was booming in the in the mid 2000s. And yeah. um, I, I told them, hey, I'm your guy. So I uh, moved down to Fort Myers and uh, the Gulf Coast Business Review had a circulation of like 20 people <laughs> in the Fort Myers area. So it was like a startup, you know, it was a startup. Yes. And uh, I, I can really appreciate what entrepreneurs have to go through because it was a startup. And um, so we built that circulation up and um, 
It's uh, been since renamed the Business Observer, and it covers Tampa to Naples, the, the, the west coast of Florida, and uh, it's the leading source of business news for entrepreneurs and, and companies um, uh, on the west coast of Florida, and I did that for 13 years. And, um, you know, that's where I really uh, appreciated what uh, entrepreneurs do. Uh, we were very yep. focused on um, on people who built and grew their businesses, and um uh, it was very, very, it was oriented to uh, the C-suites, you know, people who run and manage companies. And, yep. um, you know, it, it was great. It was, it was really a great experience and I uh, loved every minute of it. And you, when did you, um, when did you go off and start so, your own firm, which is Bruce Communications? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people over the years have asked me to write stuff, um, you know, yeah. and, and the, the problem is, is that when you're a journalist and you're covering companies, um, you know, you, it's, it's, it's really unethical to, uh, to take money from your subjects of your stories and, and do freelance writing for them, you know, ghost writing or whatever it might be. So I always had to yeah. turn down that business. You know, I, had, I always had to turn it down because I said, Hey, I'm, I'm writing about you objectively for a, for a newspaper, you know, I can't be taking money from you on the side. You know, it's just not, not ethical. Um, but enough people asked me to do that that I thought, well, there's a business for it. And at the same time, Google, you know, was getting a lot more sophisticated about, um, about identifying good content. And um, marketing companies and, and savvy entrepreneurs started realizing that great content is key uh, to getting eyeballs on Google. So yes. I thought, well, you know, there's quite a business here. So five years ago, um, I decided, you know, I'm going to quit journalism. And honestly, I had kind of burned out on journalism. I'd been at it for 25 years. And yeah. um, I, I'm going to write for entrepreneurs. And so I hung my shingle up. And, um, you know, lo and behold, um, I, st I started getting a lot of business. People needed content for their websites. They needed press releases. They needed well-written content that the search engines um, would identify and and help you know help them with uh, it's not it's not necessarily so much search engine optimization as they call it but it's just well-written content that um, communicates effectively uh, yes. what people who you know the stories that entrepreneurs want to tell so yes, um, yes, it's, yes. It's turned out to be a, a good business for me, and um, you know I'm really enjoying doing that. So, so John, why don't, why don't we go ahead? We'll take a commercial break. On the other side of the break, uh, we'll get into uh, sort of what public relations is. What, what, what does it actually mean, and what role you play? Because you're a little bit of a hybrid. You're you're a hybrid. You're not doing the typical uh, public relations uh, 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 hustle, if you will. And but but I'm going to want you to sort of explain, you know, big picture uh, to the listener. So th does that work? Yeah, that works. Okay, all right. So um, stay tuned. We'll catch up with John on the other side of the break, and we're going to talk about the public relations business and what exactly his role is within it, and how to sort of understand if and when public relations might work for you. So stay tuned. Don't buy a South Florida condo discounted or distressed before taking a Condo Vultures correction tour. CondoVultures.com offers weekly bus and walking tours that focus on educating buyers on the how-tos of identifying discounted condos, analyzing the opportunities, and purchasing units. Every tour attendee receives a list of all condo projects in a particular market, a market assessment handout, and unmatched expert analysis. For more information on the condo correction tours, please visit CondoVultures.Eventbrite.com 
or call 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Counter Vultures Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. Having a conversation with John Groose. He is the uh, founder and principal of Groose Communications. He's effectively in the public relations business, but he spent 25 years as a journalist working at uh, some of the biggest, one of the biggest publications in the country at the time when journalism actually was something in terms of newspapers, hard copy. You know, that, 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 that newspaper that would be outside your door every morning, you'd open it up, it was a whole process, drinking the coffee, and if you were a smoker, you smoked the cigarette, and you open up the, you know, the broadsheet or the tabloid and go through it, and you have ink on your hands, and, and you know, you had this whole process. Uh, John, you remember that process of uh, reading the newspaper? And when you were a journalist, how many newspapers would you read a day? And what was your morning ritual? Oh, I mean, you know, I read the competition. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Were you yeah, one of I read, his, um... I, re- I read the competition because I, I, I knew I knew if if they had outscooped me, it was going to be a bad day because I'd have to answer the editors. Who would say, you know, why didn't you have a story? You know, yes, uh, yes, and, yeah. and I and I'd have my tail between my legs, and I'd have to go get the story that my competitors had scooped me on. <laughs> you know, you know, right now we're going through this pandemic, and there's this lack of, um, I don't know, synergy, if you will, because everybody's basically at home, everybody's on lockdown. One of the beauties of a newsroom is that you'd have all of these very intelligent, typically um, uh, unique personalities. But it was great for brainstorming and story ideas and filling in the blanks. I mean, I don't think people realize the significance of the journalists. Journalists are like very, they can be very dangerous because they know how to get information. And they're very effective communicators. You, you think that's a proper assessment? And if they were to go to the dark side, it could get really scary. But fortunately, many journalists are in it to fight the good fight, as they say, and try to bring truth and uh, integrity uh, to the world. Am I reading that correct? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, we I, the newsroom at the Tampa Tribune was like one big open space. And so there was a lot of, you know, back and forth and and it was, you know, just a very vibrant place. And, you know, in those days, you know, we didn't have uh, the communication tools that, that we have now. So, I mean, a lot of it involved, you know, going and sitting in the mayor's office, you know, and waiting yep. for him to come out so you could snag him for like yep. five minutes just to see see what the hell is going on, you know? Yep. Like I couldn't, you know, I couldn't just text him or something. I had to yep. like go there, you know? Yep. Or the <laughs> I, remember, I remember doing that with the mayor of Tampa. I remember doing that with the mayor of Tampa, Dick Greco. And, and he came out of his office like, come on, let's go for a ride. <laughs> and nice. I got in the mayor's car and we'd drive around, you know, and, and, you know, it was, you know, those were the days where you could do that. Um, I, I just, you know, now, now it's, now I, I'm afraid that that's not, you know, possible anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I used yeah, to yeah. ride with the, I used to ride with the cops in Panama City, you know, they'd take me, you know, and for their stings, you know, we'd hide yeah. out in their van, you know, <laughs> I mean, this is like, and at the courthouse, the clerks would let me go back and look at the files, you know. Like I, I had wow. like free access to the file. I mean, that is, you know, that's unheard of today. You, there's no way that would happen. <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah, the way yeah. it was, you know. That's the way we weren't now, the enemy, you know. You weren't exactly, exactly. Um, so, so b- back then, um, uh, at least from my perspective, and my my journalism career was '93 to effectively uh, 2006. But but back then, yeah. the reporter is was the one, especially in print. Whatever came out in print would typically be followed by radio that day as well as TV that night. And then a week or two later, it'd be in a magazine. 
So the people setting the tone were the were the newspaper reporters. Do you agree with me, or do you think, I, or do you want to correct? Yeah, me? yeah. The that. TV guys would show up with clips of of what I had written. Exactly. <laughs> they would show up on the scene and like, "Hey, uh, you wrote this story, man. Like, good job. Okay, now you're going to do it for TV." I'm like, and they okay, get all guys, the, they get come on, the man. Exposure. Yeah, they I got know. the exposure. They got the kudos. <laughs> Nobody knew who you were back then. They didn't run the, unless you were columnist. They didn't run your 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 photo. No, they didn't run your. They didn't know my face. I wasn't recognized in the supermarket aisle. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. But so where I'm going with this is, if you were a public relations person at back then, it was a big deal if you could actually crack the code and get through to a reporter like Jean and convince them that this is something you should consider writing a story about. So, so the reporter was who the PR people were chasing and the, and the reporter would, you know, they'd accept it, they'd reject it. Then they'd have to pitch it to their editor who would reject it. Or, so, so it was this whole, this process, they didn't necessarily hear something and turn around and write it. And next thing you know, it was available. It, would, would that be a correct assessment, John? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, the thing though, is like, I was maybe, um, I, I was very generous with my time. I always, um, you know, I always made time for, for people in the public relations business because it was sort of a symbiotic relationship. Um, yep. you know, if they, if they gave me good stuff, you know, then I would, I would, uh, lend them my ear, you know, I mean, it's, it's, yep. it's, yep. it's pretty simple. So, yeah. Okay. So, so one of the things people hear, um, and it's probably not politically correct <laughs> today, but what yeah. they would say is there was something called a Chinese wall. Uh, at least that's that's what they used to say in the newsrooms I was yeah. in, and that was effectively a yeah. wall that divided the advertising side, people trying to sell ads in the newspaper, versus the right. the editorial side, and they didn't want one side corrupt. Well, they didn't want the advertising people who were who were eating what they kill in terms of selling ads and making money off of it. They don't want them corrupting the reporters who were basically paid, uh, and we're going to make the same whether it was a great story for the advertising person or not. Um, again, is that would that be a correct uh, uh, overview? Yeah, in fact, um, I have a funny story for you uh, as it relates to real estate. But when when I was at the Tampa Tribune, we had a section called Business Monday. It was like our our big Monday uh, tabloid format newspaper, and I wrote yes. the cover about for sale by owner, <laughs> <laughs> people who sold their homes by owner. And let me tell you, you know, the brokerage firms went apeshit. <laughs> nice, nice, yeah, nice. And, Threatened, threatened to like, you know, cancel their ads. And I mean, you know, it was just uh, made a huge hullabaloo um, uh, because we were telling people, hey, you can sell your, your house without the help of a broker. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> oh, nice, boy, nice. it raised a huge stink. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, the, the real estate section of many newspapers, um, uh, you know, have been sort of essentially handed over to the real estate industry as one big advertorial. And, um, yep. you know, real estate sections actually used to have real estate news, like real news. Right. And they had writers right. who wrote real real estate stories. And then, Correct. you know, somewhere along the way, uh, the brokerage firms got pissed off and it turned into an advertising section. And the same with the cars, you know, the car dealers yep. got pissed off when, you know, there were some critical reviews of uh, new cars that were coming out and, yep. you know, it turned into, it turned into a, a fluff section, you know, the real estate yep. and the car sections turned into fluff that really no one reads anymore or didn't stop yep. reading because it was just, you know, garbage really. <laughs> and, and, and John, so, so the audience understands um, a real simple, what's an advertorial? 
Well, an advertorial is a piece of um, copy that's uh, content that's written by the advertiser, and it's um, uh, passed off as editorial, uh, usually with a little a little writing or a different font type and a little notice that says, you know, this is paid advertising. Um, yep. but essentially, uh, essentially that's what it is. So uh, you can buy uh, space in the newspaper and and produce some content, a story or whatever. Uh, that's you know usually you know positive spin. Um, yep. And that's an editorial. Yeah. So so it'd be like a more eloquent um, uh, presented classified ad that costs a lot more in a section where people wanted to be advertising. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. 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 So no, the, the reason I'm bringing this up is that um, you were talking yeah. about back in the day, real estate sections were actually real stories, uh, and they right. were these puff, puff pieces. Where now, right. if you pick up a real estate section, or a lot of times if you pick up a magazine, uh, if you look at something potentially like some of these uh, um, uh, these publications that have been set up by big national chains, excuse me, national right. uh, news um, outlets. You know, they sort of—they're walking that fine line between blowing smoke up the developer's ass and ultimately giving <laughs> their—you know—the reader something they can use. They're definitely not consumer reports uh, type of right. uh, shtick. Would, would you agree? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that—that's because the divide that was traditional divide between advertising and editorial, and 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 advertising was not supposed to drive editorial, you know, those lines have blurred because of, yep. you know, financial pressures. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons for that. I mean, yep. you know, newspapers yep. and yep. magazines are struggling and so they've given up, you know, some of the control over the editorial and, you know, yeah. sad. it's sad, sad to see really. You know, one of the things I used to look forward to is every year in order to maintain a certain, at least it was, in order to maintain a certain discount on using the postal service to mail newspapers, uh, the circulation yeah. numbers had to be run by a publication in its publication, and that's where everybody basically the the the, the newspaper had to come clean. What are they really doing? And they had to right. just make it known. And then you could always sort of track what was going on. And one of the things that I always remember, I went to uh, journalism school, and I think the figure was that they told us back then, in order to be uh, to qualify as a newspaper versus a, a basically a rag sheet or an advertising sheet, what all advertisements. Is I think you had this 51 or 55 percent of the overall content had to be editorial, and then the remainder uh, could be ads. Where if you tip that, suddenly you wouldn't be able to qualify for the cheaper uh, postage. Um, you, you know anything about that? Am I am I am I remembering? Yeah, I think you. I, yeah, I think you're right. Um, and it, ha it also had to do with paid circulation. Um, correct. So, correct. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. 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 Okay, so so I I think we've set the the general uh, perspective about the journalism uh, world. So typically, when somebody gets a little bit uh, let's call it longer in the tooth, you know, like myself, um, you what you do is you say I can't I don't want to do the grind anymore of journalism. Plus, I can make a hell of a lot more money if I know everything I know and I take it over to the public relations world because now we have corporate America paying us double or triple the, uh, to write pieces and to write about the stuff we're already writing about. Is that typically how it happens uh, for a lot of people? Well, that's true uh, to a certain extent, yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. <laughs> so so, so people people migrate over into public relations. And um, what, what, what exactly is public relations, John? How would you define it or marketing? And, you know, could, could you kind of give a macro and then keep in mind uh, particularly sort of the niche or the hybrid um, function that, that, that Groups Communications does? 
Right. So, you know, you, with public relations, you're trying to persuade, um, persuade people your points, your point of view. Um, and I mean, that's basically what it is. Um, and, um, you know, my, my business is, um, my business is providing content because, uh, in the, in this world, you know, content is king and, um, well-written, uh, content is valuable, whether it's in a newspaper, a magazine, on the internet, on a website, in a press release, in a white paper, um, so that's the kind of public relations that I uh, produce. So I produce well-written content for entrepreneurs. Um, I work for entrepreneurs only because, um, you know, I like, I like the way entrepreneurs work. They get it done. Um, I don't do any government work. Um, I don't do any work for nonprofits. Um, so I focus exclusively on entrepreneurs who want to build their businesses. Um, and have a long-term view. So the thing about con well-written content is that, you know, it takes time to produce. Um, yep. And, um, uh, you know, some effort has to go into it. Um, and um, you can't just slap it out and put it out there, you know. Um, so uh, that's, that's sort of my specialty. And I, w I work with marketing companies. Uh, sometimes they hire me as the content guy. Uh, so okay. let's say they, they're, they're creating a campaign, a marketing campaign that might include, you know, Facebook advertising, it might include a press release, it might include, um, you know, a white paper, uh, it might include uh, all kinds of written communications, maybe even some brochures or things like that. And they bring me in as the, as the writer, the content guy. And um, so I, I write all that stuff and then they uh, put it into the, into the, uh, into the method of publication that they choose, whether it's yep. Facebook yep. or websites or, you know, um, and, um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of how the PR industry has evolved, uh, because of technology. Um, you know, everybody's, okay. everybody's, everybody's jobs has changed. So, um, you know, the traditional PR firms, um, that, you know, just did you know the usual press release and things like that i mean they've had to they've had to evolve because you know newspapers have lost um you know quite a bit of influence so yep uh over the public conversations going on um so now it's uh, a lot of it's on social media and um you know pr firms have had to evolve um a lot of a lot of pr firms are involved in government kind of work um because so much of our lives are governed by politicians, unfortunately. Right. Um, right. So you'll find a lot of PR firms that um, do a lot of government relations work. Um, and so if that's important to you, let's say you're a developer and you want to build a tower, you know, and uh, on a sensitive barrier island, <laughs> um, you'll, 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 want to, you'll probably want to hire a PR firm that has connections uh, with local politicians and, you know, in addition to the traditional PR, you know, press releases and, you know, getting stories in the paper that are favorable for your project and, you know, getting the editorial page on board and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Got it, got it, got it. So, so, so effectively, um, uh, so a PR firm, and by the way, what's the difference, if there is any, between a PR firm and a marketing firm? A lot of people use them synonymously. How should the listener... How should they sort of sort of keep it straight in their head? Is it the same? Is like in certain parts of the United States, 
you say give me a Coke, that means I want a soda. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean it has, it has right. to be Coke. So, so what's the difference, if any, between marketing and, and public relations or PR firm? Uh, uh, what, well, what's yeah. the well uh, a PR firm is more advocacy. So um, uh, let's okay. say you're a, a, a real estate developer, like in the example I just gave you. Um, I mean, you might want to hire a marketing firm uh, to uh, get prospective customers to look at your fancy building that you're going to build and get some pre-sales. But you'll want to talk yeah. to a PR firm to get, you know, to get the public involved, to get the public on your side, um, you know, the neighbors, <laughs> uh, the right. politicians, uh, the bureaucrats, you know. Uh, so you'll hire a PR firm to do that, you know, and to also, you know, uh, send press releases to the paper, try to get some favorable coverage of your of your project and how it's going to benefit the neighborhood and um you know everybody and get everybody on your side that's a that's a P, that's what a pr firm might do a marketing firm might simply uh help you market your property um you know sell its uh, features its lush landscaping you know it's uh you know sweeping views of the ocean uh you know that kind of thing got it got it got it got it got it got it and um and just so I'm clear in terms of the services that you offer, Sean, um, typically yeah. an entrepreneur will come to you um, on their own and uh, you guys will work out something or uh, do you typically get to the entrepreneur by way of a, a PR firm or a marketing firm reaching out to you needing your services, you know, the written word type of content or maybe some ideas of how to approach it. How, how does that typically play, play out for, for you and many of your clients? Yeah, actually both. So, you know, a lot of a lot of people I used to write about um, have asked me mm -hmm. to write for them. So let's say, um, I mean, for example, I did some work for a luxury home builder and and the CEO came to me and said, you know, I really hate our website. It really sucks. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I don't I don't like the way we sound. You know, we were not telling people what we do. And I'm very unhappy with the content. Um, he had a uh, marketing firm that that put together a nice, beautiful website, but the content was horrible. And um, nice. so I rewrote all, I rewrote, I rewrote it all. And, uh, you know, he was very happy with the outcome. So, you know, that's, that's when a CEO will come to you and say, Hey, I, you know, I really hate my website. That's what's happened a lot this year, actually, because of the pandemic, everybody realized, uh, oh, my website, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta do something with my website. It's, it's been sitting there for five years and, and I, I really don't like the way it looks and sounds. Um, and reads, um, so I need to freshen it up with with better content. Nice. And so that's um, so actually my business this year is actually um, I I really was not expecting this, but um, my business sort of took off when the economy reopened. People realized like everybody's doing business online now. I better I better put my A game on <laughs> online, you know. Whereas you know right. the website a lot of times was an afterthought. Now it's like really important. <laughs> I mean, it was important That's before, awesome. but but not as important, yeah. you know. Um, so so the content matters. And then when it comes to Google, I mean, Google now is so sophisticated that um, they can tell whether your content is plagiarized. They can tell, you know, if it's got grammatical mistakes. It can tell, you know, whether it's original, uh, if it's uh, good writing. Um, so that that becomes more and more important. And that's when the marketing firms. Uh, the savvy ones, at least, um, they they call me up and they say, hey, we we've got this client and they got you know a horrible uh, website or they need to launch a new 
you know, they, they may have like, uh, they may be a startup or they may be doing some acquisitions and they want to put it, you know, they want to redo their website and we've been hired to do it. Will you come be part of our team to do the content? And that's, and that's usually I have a, a several, I work with several marketing companies that have hired me to do that kind of stuff. So. Fantastic. So, John, let's go ahead and we'll take a commercial break. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk about um, uh, what's going on currently. you got all this fake news. How does, how does somebody figure out if it's bullshit, if it's real? We're going to talk about, too, what's the future of PR. And also, too, if anybody's listening to this and they say, you know what? You know, what John's saying makes a lot of sense. Maybe I need to do it. Maybe you can give them some tips as to how and when to spend their money. So stay tuned. We'll catch you on the other side. Challenging times for real estate calls for experts that help you to navigate the new normal in the process of buying or selling property in South Florida. At CBA Realty, we listen carefully and advise based on stats, local knowledge, and experience. For more information, call us at 305-865-5859 or visit our website, cbrrealty.com. Welcome back to the Counter Vultures Podcast. I'm having my conversation with John Groose. He has a company called Groose Communication. He effectively uh, works with entrepreneurs, and he tells their story. He does it in a sophisticated, intelligent way that actually is grammatically correct. Why? Because Google's looking for it. Did I get that right, John? Yep, you nailed it. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Now, speaking of nailed it, I got I to gotta ask you, and I asked you this, I think, uh, when, when you first came on the Reporters Roundtable or the Miami Real Estate and Economic Roundtable, which appears or comes out every Wednesday, I asked you, you lived in Tampa and you live in Miami now. Anybody who sort of knows the state of Florida and some of the rivalry, uh, there was a rivalry between Tampa, people from the Cuban descent in Tampa, and people from the Cuban descent in Miami as to what is the proper and appropriate Cuban sandwich. Now, in Tampa, they tend to put salami on it, and in Miami, they do not. So uh, you're somebody who has a foot in both worlds. Uh, what, what say you now that you've been on the ground in Miami for uh, several years and you spent all that time in Tampa? Listen, you, you're going to make me a marked man with that kind of question. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, but you said your picture's not this anywhere. This is serious stuff, man. This is serious <laughs> stuff. I mean, I'm going to have to go into the witness protection program if I, if I favor one over the other. Come on, man. <laughs> Well, well, okay, okay, so you don't want to answer, fair enough, um, but let me ask you, is there a go-to place you have in Miami or South Florida, meaning Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach counties, if you're craving a Cuban sandwich? And don't tell me Pollo Tropical uh, either. <laughs> Pollo Tropical. Well, you know, honestly, I don't. Um, and, um, you know, <laughs> I'm, again, you know, the Cuban sandwich is is an institution, and 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 the thing is, is that you, you get caught up in this uh, Cuban sandwich thing and the rivalries, uh, and, and you're just asking for trouble. Come on, come on, Peter. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Okay, all right, fair enough. I, I will tell you though, as I've done these podcasts, these uh, real estate player profiles, um, I've asked a lot of people, and um, I'm getting some great recommendations, and I'm going out and I'm actually trying them. So I'm able to sort of keep score on my own. What I wanted wanted to do is, you know, I do these condo tours. I want to do a Cuban sandwich tour. I'd like to have somebody come and we bounce around and we go visit a bunch of Cuban sandwich joints uh, and get to sample them. I think that would be fun, talking about the history and the different um, persona and characteristics that go with each of these Cuban restaurants. Because as, as you just said, it can get a little contentious. Uh, who's got the best Cuban sandwich in Miami or even in the state of Florida? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're talking about people's livelihoods here, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and their rep and their reputations. 
Exactly. So speaking about reputation, speaking about livelihood, speaking about all of that, um, a lot of people are putting out information. Uh, it's not going through the process that you and I used to go through, Sean, where basically you'd get a tip, you would check it out, maybe a PR person brought it to you, you'd check it out. If there was something there, you'd pitch it to your editor. If your editor said, okay, go ahead, report it out. Uh, talk to some of your sources. If everything added up and you could get two, you could get you know minimum of two, but most likely you had to have three different people uh, to comment on it. Then you had a story. It went through a process to get scrubbed to make sure something's there. Nowadays, you got people putting out all types of information, and uh, you know this term Donald Trump introduced to really sort of to hold up fake news is really sort of caught a grip. Uh, can you just kind of talk about um, you know all the different news that's out there and how to differentiate what's true, what's bullshit. And if you do put out bullshit, uh, are there any repercussions? Um, you know, maybe on, later on down the line, just like they say, if you're a teenager and you post stuff on social media, or if you're an up and coming athlete and you post stupid shit, lo and behold, you know, reporters uh, go ahead and they dig through your, you know, your portfolio, if you will, or your history on Twitter or anything else when you were a first round draft choice. And all of a sudden everybody exposes you for being a white nationalist or anything like that. So, so could, could, can you sort of talk, just about, you know, what's real, what's not real, how does somebody figure it out, and what are the repercussions if you are one of these um, people putting out fake or, let's say, untrue type of news? Yeah, I mean, look, um, the the line between, um, you know, uh, fact and opinion has been blurred, um, maybe irretrievably now. Um, you, you don't know what's what's opinion and what's fact anymore. And, um, yep. you know, part of the problem, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, we ha- we do have an explosion of information and it's much easier now to distribute information now than it ever was. And, you know, I, I prefer to look at it in a positive way. Like, that's actually a good thing. Um, OK, but but really what it requires you to do is you need to be a much more judicious consumer of news uh, and. Um, you need to subscribe to more sources of information to get the real picture. Um, So, uh, and the good thing is, you know, there's a lot of sources of information out there and I always look at, you know, who, what is the source of the information? I mean, is this a reputable publication? I mean, and you know, we've had, you know, we've had a decline in newspaper and newspaper readership and the quality of the reporting. But on the other hand, we've had like new entrants into the market. I mean, I think you had a great interview the other day with um, the publisher of the real deal. I mean, those guys are, uh, you know, putting out some great stuff, you know, and um, you know, Brian Bandell over at the South Florida business journal is doing a great job. So, I mean, you know, those are the kinds of sources um, at least from a real estate perspective that, you know, are my go-to real estate sources. And and, and, yep. and I trust the information because they're doing a good job, you know, ferreting out the facts. Yeah. You know, I kind of look at the industry, the newspaper industry, I, I compare it to the airlines. And what I mean by that is, the airlines are weighed down, especially the legacy carriers, the ones that have been around forever. They're weighed down by pensions and all the equipment versus startups can basically zoom right in, take advantage of efficiencies, take advantage of technologies. They don't have to pay the pensions. Well, newspapers had printing presses. They had all this real estate. They had all these employees where if you're going to start up a new uh, a startup news site, you basically poach a bunch of the best reporters, you bring them on, you put up a new shingle, and you start selling subscriptions against that, and everything's online, and you don't have the overhead of the pension, of the printing press, of all the employees. So a lot of the good reporters who used to work at the, you know, the publications uh, you and I used to work at, 
they've all gone, let's say, to the next generation. And, uh, you know, maybe it's got a different name. Maybe it's called political now. Or maybe it's called the athletic. It's no longer the sports stuff section of the particular publication. Is that uh, – am I reading that right, or do you think – or do you want to uh, push back and correct me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And, I mean, it, it even – you don't even – I mean, you can create news by yourself. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I mean, and I, t- and I tell my clients that, by the way. I'm like, you, you know – you you can create your own news, you know. That's you can right. create, right. you know, and and Peter, you do that great. I mean, you create your own news. You have your podcast. You got your reports. You're like, you know, you are a news service. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and I will I will tell because around the world and our listeners are all over the world uh, looking at the Spotify numbers. We're we're like north of 25 countries, so that's you know, I, I, I'm very excited to everything we're we're doing. But I but I will say in the United States. Um, you do not get licensed to be a journalist. There is no government uh, uh, authority. There's now you, you you know you may or may not be able to, and I don't know if they still do it, like a press card. Maybe you could get a press credential to go and attend something. But generally speaking, anybody in the United States can consider themselves a journalist, and it's only if you get sued for libel or slander or anything else where you might have to necessarily prove that. Versus other countries, you actually have to be licensed. At least that I'm aware of. Um, so, so I think that, I think that that kind of blurs the line as well, Jean. Um, what, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, so, you know, there's a there's a, there's always been a big debate on on like who gets access to the White House, and you know, if I'm a blogger, can I can I can I go in and and cover you know government, and and am I allowed to go you know to the White House and cover you know the president's news conference and yeah, yeah, there's a lot, lot of, lot of debate over that, like access and and who has it, and uh, with with the with with social media, particularly Twitter and 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 those kinds of services. Um, you yep. know, this is this, you know this uh, opens it up to everybody, really. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, you know, I'm I'm wondering, Sean, um, about the fake news. I I think what's going on in the news world today, from my perspective, we effectively have it to put it in the business world. I'd say it's price discovery. We're trying to figure out what's true, what's false, what will people believe, what are the repercussions, all of that type of stuff. And nobody really knows thus far. Um, but I think as we go forward, uh, it's, our, it's going to start to become clearer and clearer. It's like the fog of war, if you will, you always hear about. And it's only after the fact when historians look at it where you can sort of make things up. So I guess what I'm wondering is if somebody is telling themselves, um, and I remember this back when Google was really taking off and you had a website, you could go and pay some group out of Pakistan and they would get you on the page, first page. You'd be there for six months, but then once Google caught up with all the shenanigans that were involved, yeah. you were going to get blacklisted and you wouldn't resurface there for quite some time. So, so I'm, I'm wondering – do you see any comparisons maybe because of the fog of war right now of fake news that maybe people who are putting stuff up intentionally or unintentionally, they might have some repercussions uh, to face uh, once the historians or the people kind of figure out what's real and what's not real. Do you, do you, do you have any take on that? Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, and, and, you know, the problem is it's been exacerbated by social media. Like for example, if you if you're on Facebook and and you you click on a on a piece of news on Facebook, you know you're yep. telling Facebook that you're going to consume that kind of news, and so yep. Facebook is going to feed feed you more of that because they want to yep. keep you on. So unfortunately, what what that does is it doesn't present you with a balanced news diet, you know, because most people yep. are now getting their news from places like Facebook. <laughs> 
That's right. So, that's right. And, and so, and so, unfortunately, so the way you protect yourself against that is you, you consider a variety of different news sources um, and from from a broad spectrum, and you, and you consider you consider you know all the opinions or all the facts from different sources, and that's you know that's that's why it takes time, it takes effort. You need to be judicious. Um, there's lots of fake news out there, but you know what? There's been fake news since the beginning of our country. You know, the pamphleteers, you know, uh, right. during the revolution, you know, they, they published all kinds of crap, you know, yellow journalism. Yes. I mean, it was, yes. you know, it was, uh, you know, th- there, there were some outrageous stuff being published on paper, you know, through yes. the years in the U S you know, people have used the media and the press and fake news I mean, this is nothing new. This has been going on since the invention of the printing press, you know. So it's just yeah, 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 in yeah. a different for it's just in a different format. <laughs> right. Well, it, it reminds me of the famous photo, and I'm blanking right now, but with um um with Truman, Harry Truman, the yeah. president, when they actually called the Chicago Daily, I think it was Daily News, they actually called the the election wrong. And they printed yes. it, and they they, yes. they sent it out. So, so the, <laughs> Dewey defeats Truman. Yes, that's it. That's it. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. So it's that famous photograph, like ah, you dumbass type of scenario. Uh, but type they of would scenario. they so, would publish they would publish uh, you know outlandish things about their their political opponents. And, I mean, it's yep. like you know so many untruths. And I mean, you know, you can look back. I mean, historians look back now and say, well, that was. You know, you know they can look at it, but back then, I mean, it was it was uh, you know a tool, a, a fake news tool. You know, people had done that yeah. for generations. Yeah. Now, now for generations and centuries, uh, the written word has been uh, the influencer. Uh, you know, what, what's the saying about uh, give me a barrel of ink versus a a, a sword, yeah. if you will? Um, so the influencer has always been the written word. But right now, if you talk about influencers, and it's a term, and advertisers are spending their money, you got people who are either good-looking, who are uh, presenting all kinds of photographs of themselves uh, with these particular Just like products. you. <laughs> hey, listen, I got a face for a radio. I got a face for a radio. <laughs> or, or what? What? What you have is um, you, you. You're going to have YouTube videos. You're going to have people who basically, if they can get a million clicks on a video, they're looking at a ballpark of about five grand. Uh, per million clicks, uh, somewhere in and around there, that ratio. So you have people doing crazy-ass videos so they can get the clicks. What do they call it? Clickbait. So I guess what I'm asking you is just like there was, there's was, there been fake news forever and ever and ever, um, what about the influencer? Is, is the written word influencer such as you, um, uh, are they losing ground to these 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 people who are more, uh, you know, in front of us, whether it be a, an Instagram pic or it would be a, a YouTube video? What What do you think? Well, I, I I do think video is increasingly you know the the uh, a big a big a big um, medium for getting your message across, and um, yep. you know the best the the best the best marketing uh, and PR people use a combination, and um, they use a combination of video and the written word to get their message across. And now increasingly, okay. you know, uh, I mean the thing is is that if it, they work together, you know, sometimes, sometimes you can't explain things uh, very well on a video that you can on the, in the written word. So, I mean, really, I, I've, I've worked with a lot of marketing people and, you know, they don't, 
they don't look at me as a dinosaur, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, they 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 appreciate um, the written word still, and it's still important. Um, but they also incorporate video. So, for example, I I recently did a lot of work for a commercial real estate broker, um, and okay. uh, we did a series of we did a series of stories um, uh, uh, that sort of established him as the as the expert and um, okay. in in his in his field and. Um, what we ended up doing is um, we did these these articles and incorporated video um, so that people could see what we were talking about in 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 real terms. I mean, we were talking about office space, and so yes. you know here. So we were using different buildings as illustrations for the for the cases that he was talking about, and and we had great drone video of the of the buildings he was talking about. So here yeah. here's a great way to here's a great way to incorporate both. Okay. Now, if you're talking about posting stuff on TikTok, you know, and Instagram, I mean, that that's video, you know, or YouTube. Yes. That's all. That's all video. But, but you know, if you're talking about combining words with video, I mean, those two things can work really well symbiotically. Well, that's good to know. Those who can actually um, uh, produce a written word, it sounds like they still got a um, critical role to play um, overall. Now, um, in terms of overall, you talked about, the, you know, uh, the pandemic. A lot of people are sort of reflecting back on their website and other things saying, holy shit, I need to, I need to, <laughs> I need to update my message. I need to do a bunch of that type of stuff. Um, um, could, can you sort of give some advice to maybe somebody who's listening to this podcast, they have their own business, um, maybe they're considering some of these things in terms of, um, you know, what questions should they ask and, and what about spending money? When's the right time to spend it? Do you spend it during a pandemic when, um, uh, when cash is tight? Or, or do you spend it when everything is rolling? Um, what, what, what kind of advice would you offer, Jean, um, as somebody who works with entrepreneurs, been a journalist, and has uh, increasingly been in the public relations world? Yeah, well, you know, really, it's, a, it's on a case-by-case basis. Do you enjoy writing? You know, is this a, do you have a strong suit uh, for that? Um, I mean, I, you know, I've, um, I've, I've turned down some business uh, because I thought, you know, they didn't really need me, you know. Um, uh-huh. but, um, honestly, a lot of, a lot of stuff you can do yourself, but really, um, the questions you should ask yourself is why should your customers care about what you're doing? You know, because a lot of times, um, websites and press releases are simply ego building tools, um, you know, for the CEO of the company, you know, and really they don't, they don't do much about telling your story or what you're about or how your customers might benefit. So really, um, if, if you're, if you're doing this kind of thing, um, PR, you, you really need to uh, think about your audience, your customers and how they might benefit and provide them with useful and relevant information. And, um, you know, I can't, I can't overemphasize that enough that, Really, it's not about you. It's about your customers, and um, your your communications should be about how can you relieve their pain, whatever their pain might be. So, if I'm a realtor, you know your you know your customers' pain might be, hey, I live in New York and I'm looking for a single family home in Coral Gables, you know that, and I can't travel down here. That's their pain. So, you know. What are you, what are you going to say to them? What, how are you going to communicate that you're the right real estate agent for them to show them around, you know? Um, so not, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really as simple as that. And I, I think if you can communicate that message to your, 
to your clients, um, or prospective clients, you know, that goes a long way to helping you with, you know, so-called PR, you know, and I think a lot of it you, you can do yourself. Okay. Okay. Um, what, what, what about the timing is, is when, when, when times are tough, is that a good time? Uh, do you think to put your message out because you might get more attention because others aren't paying attention or is it better to put your message out when, uh, when times are really going well and, uh, the industry is, uh, swamped and, and people may be looking for anybody to sort of uh, provide that service. Any, any input you you could offer? I mean, I mean, generally speaking, of course, you know, if your competitors are not are not out there beating the bush, I mean, this is a perfect yep. opportunity for you to for for you to to step it up, you know, and and claim and uh, claim some market share, grab some market share while times are tough. I mean, but it, it's tough, you know, because you're asking someone to like spend money when sales are down. I mean, this is yep. really a very this is a very tough decision to make, and it you know you have to. Now, that's why I like working with entrepreneurs because they make that that kind of call. You know, they're yep. like, oh, yep. you know, yep. times are tough. My sales are down twenty percent, but I need to spend more because I I need to you know I need to feed my feed my people. You know, and yep. um, yeah, yeah. You know, that's uh, I mean, it's it's easy to spend when times are good. You know, yep. but it's yep. really yep. hard to it's really hard to spend when when times are not good. Great, great point. Um, um, I want to I want to ask you two more questions sort of related to that. Uh, one question, generally speaking, in the industry, in South Florida, if somebody wants to uh, get a public relations person uh, or a marketing firm to work with them, um, wh- how do they structure it? What do they look at? Do they sign a retainer? Do they pay every month? Um, do, they, do they do on a one-off uh, project? What would you recommend? To, let's say it's a realtor. Maybe, maybe it's somebody like that commercial broker you were talking about you were working with. What, what, what's the best way? Do you start slow or do you go all in? What's, uh, what kind of advice would you offer to a business person who's maybe considering public relations and marketing? Yeah, I mean, I would shop around. I mean, you got to shop around because um, firms, firms um, have different prices, uh, different services, and, um, you know, so I I know PR firms that are um, that charge strictly by the hour. Uh, there are firms that uh, will make you sign a retainer and pay a monthly uh, monthly retainer, much like you would, let's say, a law firm. Um, yep. And you know, so and and the pricing is um, you know all over the place. So I mean, you can get a you know, it depends on what you want to get done. You know, if um, uh, I would think if if you needed government relations, um, if you needed people with access to politicians, you might have to pay a little more um, than if you say, you know, I just need somebody to write a press release. Um, yes. So, you know, if the, if, the, if you just need a press release, you know, you can get that done, you know, one off. If you need like a full strategy of getting the community together to back your project or you know, you're doing a full, full-on marketing PR efforts. I mean, you you look you're looking at spending quite a bit of money, uh, and you you'll probably have to pay a retainer, and you know, it'll be it'll be costly. Um, and my my suggestion is to shop around um, because there okay. are lots of PR firms, very capable firms in South Florida that can do a great job for you. Okay, and then finally, my my, my last question, uh, Jean. Um, well, it's actually two questions. It's gonna, I'm going to roll it into one. Um, some people are intimidated by public speaking. Others might be intimidated by reaching out 
in trying to gather that um, uh, that attention. Um, uh, sometimes, okay, so so that's the theme. Now, sometimes when I'm no, a lot of times when I'm watching an interview, I'll hear somebody use certain words. It's almost like they've been prepped, and they always say that's a great question, or they begin that sentence so. It's like certain words I always hear, and it's like, okay, this person's been prepped. So I, I guess my question is to you, um, uh, can people actually get uh, prepped by a public relations or marketing person as to how to deal with the media, how to deal with, uh, you know, going out there and taking a stand and putting yourself out there? And if they, if they can, um, uh, do you think it's beneficial? Do you, is there anything you might be able to offer about that for that person who maybe doesn't have a lot of confidence, just like they don't have confidence about standing up in public and doing public speaking? Yeah, a lot, a lot of a lot of a lot of PR firms have media. They call it media training. Um, so they'll okay. they'll they'll set you up in a mock interview style, and they'll pepper you with questions, either in front of a camera or you know they'll pretend to be a reporter and they'll ask you the tough questions. So I mean, I think it's beneficial. Um, I, th- I think uh, if you can just be yourself, and you know, um, if you're a business owner and you know your business and you know, and it all depends also on whether this is, are you in a crisis situation um, or is this true, you know, true. to promote your business or, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different circumstances. So, you know, but, you know, being yourself and being honest and uh, straightforward and, and, you know, you, you need to, I mean, I mean it's helpful. I, I, I would say generally it's a helpful thing, but if you're the CEO and leader of a company, you already know how to speak publicly. You know how to address your employees, you know how to talk to yep. your staff um, and, and those kinds of things. So, yeah. Got it. Yeah. And I, and I, I would second that. I would tell you, um, uh, assume the journalist is going to figure it out. So don't lie to them. Um, maybe don't comment, but don't lie to them because when you lie, chances are they're going to have to call you back and then do a story about the fact that you lied to them, and it's a whole reputational damage thing. And be who you are. Be who you are. People will understand it. Um, you know, difficult times like this, if you're struggling, you have a business and you're struggling, so is everybody else. It's not necessarily a big deal. So just embrace it is what I would, what I would tell the listener. Um, John, if somebody wants to reach out to you, maybe they're looking for some services, maybe they want to um, see some of the stuff you read, anything like that, what's, what's the best way for them to reach you? Oh, I have a website. It's uh, GrusPR, G-R-U-S-S-P-R dot com. And uh, that's probably the easiest way to find me. I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. But if you go to GrusPR dot com, that's the place to find me. And you're also once a week, you are on the Reporters Roundtable where you provide your opinions on six stories that we do, uh, we pick every week to discuss. Uh, you make a prediction. A lot of times you're dead on, and then we do a comment section. So uh, people can get more of you there. They can also go to your uh, your website. Sean, anything you want to offer before we sort of wrap up this uh, this podcast? It's been extremely insightful, other than the fact you won't give me a good Cuban sandwich restaurant. But other than that, it's been dead on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to say one thing, which is I, okay. I have seen a lot of, from a real estate people, I have seen a lot of garbage a lot of garbage content. And I must say, um, I don't know if there's like a factory somewhere in Bangalore that churns out this, <laughs> this, this nonsense content, uh, but I wish real estate people would stop pushing out garbage content that they don't believe in and start telling us what's really going on in their neighborhood and their areas and establish themselves as the experts in their areas. Um, so I, I just I, I had to put that in because I've seen a lot of it lately. I don't know why it's it's popping up all over the place, and I I, I think it I think uh, they people need to be very careful about how much 
you know, content, how much of this, what I call garbage content they're putting out there. And that is Jean Groose. He is the um, owner of Groose Communications. If you want to reach out to him, check out his website or look him up on Twitter, social media, Instagram, all that type of stuff. So thank you for uh, listening to the Counter Vultures Podcast. If you're not yet a subscriber, please go ahead and do so wherever you listen to your podcast. If you like what we're doing, leave us a rating and a comment. That will help us to propel and get our message out and ultimately uh, try to bring some straight talk to this overhyped uh, software to real estate market. And if you have any comments, you have any questions, uh, please send us an email to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. I'm Peter Zalewski. Until next time, stay safe, stay strong. We're almost through this pandemic. Fingers crossed. We'll catch up soon. Ciao, ciao.